What is leadership today? Leaders are the subject of constant scrutiny and study. Too many of us are seduced by the mythology of what good leadership looks like, and we miss the reality. As a result, our models for identifying, educating, and evaluating leaders falter or feel incomplete. We intuitively know that leadership is critical to success in the modern world, but we don't really understand what leadership consists of. Morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us as we kick off our second leadership and athletic training series here on the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Welcome, Jeremy. Good morning, John. So this is exciting to be back, and I know we've been planning this and working on it for for a while. So this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash mythology. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash mythology. Um, and so we kind of previewed this, but part of the preview was to work out any kinks, and we definitely had some kinks. So John had to restart his computer like twice, and I had some issues, and we went through the whole series so I could hear him here through my headphones, but Facebook Live wasn't getting it. Uh, and so again, prepare, you know, we've talked about that and all the leadership stuff is, you know, you got to practice, prepare, plan, all that other stuff. Uh, and, and we did the trial run and it didn't work. So we're going to do a real quick preview of what the whole series is so that you know what's going on. Uh, but other than that, this is, this is really good. So John, what is going to be going on in this leadership series? Well, to help us explore the mythology of leadership, we've got six shows planned, including this one with four guests lined up right here on the sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Facebook. After today's show, where we discuss the founding book, Leaders, and I'll show everybody the book. I know you've posted it before. I hit the mic. Uh, we'll take a break for a week or so, give everybody a chance to pick up the book if they choose to, go read through it a little bit, maybe rent it a little bit. Uh, out of library. Uh, and then we're going to come back October 18th. That's a Friday with a show featuring Dr. Kent Games as we learn to say no. For this show, we're going to actually pull from another book. We're going to pull from Tim Ferriss's Tribe of Mentors, which is a really, really big book. But it's a lot of like little short stories on how different people manage their daily life, how they lead, how they go through things. Um, we're going to take out of that book how to learn to say no. There's a handful of uh, emails that went back and forth between the author and different authors, um, kind of rejecting his offer to be in the book. Um, and we're going to use that to learn how to say no as a leadership tactic uh, ourselves. On Monday, October 21st, Hall of Famer Dr. Renee Shingles will join us to explore the concept of bad leaders. Now, Dr. Shingles isn't a bad leader at all, but Hall of Famers usually have their fair share of troubled leadership uh, to help shape their Hall of Fame career. On Wednesday, October 23rd, Kevin Parker, the current president of Michigan Athletic Trainer Society, will join us to discuss the idea of heroes. Now, I've gotten to know Kevin a little bit over the last month or so, uh, a little bit more intently. Uh, and I know he's going to be modest about this, but if anybody has uh, ever seen his video or the video that Gatorade created in his role in a life-saving incident, um, I really hope you've seen it. If not, I implore you to watch it. Uh, Kevin is actually going to join us to discuss the genre or the section uh, called heroes out of the book Leaders um, as a hero's role in leadership. Our last guest is NATA President Tori Lindley. He'll be joining us on Friday, October 25th, as we discuss the three myths of leadership and how do we re redefine them as we move forward in this ever-growing profession. Lastly, 
This is going to be my favorite show, I think. We're going to close out the series on October 29th with a children's book. It's amazing how many leadership lessons you can actually get out of a, a children's book. So like I said, I'm really excited and hopefully this is going to be my favorite show. All of these shows are going to be broadcasted live here at the sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Facebook starting at 9.30 a.m. Eastern, 8.30 Central. All right, so we want to hear your leadership stories, uh, especially if you can type them there in the, the live show. Uh, we'll try our best to get to them uh, and mention them on the air, talk about them, share them, and share our experience, our stories, or, or answer your questions, um, whether that's here with us, talking about the book, or with any of our guests, or if we address them you know, on the next episode or in a follow-up episode after this uh, in the coming month or something like that. So again, like you said, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Facebook or facebook.com slash sportsmedicinebroadcast. Either of those are the same place. And then you can catch the live episodes, watch the old ones, replay them and, and things like that. Um, and so without much further ado, we're going to get back to the book Leaders by General McChrystal. John? Yeah, so Leaders is a... Um, it, it's a it's a biographical book on different types of people. What it does is it takes from the Roman historian Plutarch's life, where he parallels, I think, forty some different uh, Roman and Greek figures. Uh, McChrystal actually examines twelve different leaders uh, that are more current uh, within the last couple hundred years, uh, minus one. Um, and then he actually examines a singular person. So he examines 12 different people, um, or I'm sorry, 13 different people, uh, six different pairs. And then with one of them being Robert E. Lee, the, the leader of the Confederate Army during the Civil War, um, he kind of goes through his whole life as um, Robert E. Lee went through West Point as a Union soldier and then became the leader of the Civil War for the Confederate Army. Uh, very conflicted in his own life. Obviously, we know there's a lot of uh, current things that we've seen over the past couple of years with Robert E. Lee and uh, some of the things that happened in the South. Uh, but he takes a really good, deep uh, look into the life of Robert E. Lee. Uh, and what he does is he looks at leadership traits, leadership qualities, and how these people became leaders uh, and their styles of leadership and how we can actually learn from those different styles. Um, part of the reason I, I picked this book is back in you and I went to Orlando, I picked up the book Leadership in Turbulent Times. I was really excited to pick up that book. I picked it up in the airport. Um, and Doris Kearns Goodwin, who is the author of that book, she looks into, she examines four different presidents during their times in office during the most difficult times in their office. Um, so from Lincoln's time during the Civil War to Johnson's transition of power during the Civil Rights Campaign after Kennedy's death. I started to recognize both the good and bad qualities of these presidents. And then uh, McChrystal actually does the same thing with leaders. Um, and that's what makes them great leaders and what's, and uh, well, uh, leadership in turbulent times it examines what makes them good leaders and what causes them to waver during difficult times in their office. Um, leaders actually gives us a wider breadth of different types of leaders. And I felt that would help us ask and answer the question, what makes a good leader? Uh, last year, we talked a lot about tactics. We talked uh, extreme ownership. We talked about the dichotomy of leadership. We talked about um, how do we work through different problems. And uh, we really looked at different leadership tactics. Um, but what what can we take from these different types of leaders? And how can we learn from both the good and the bad leaders? Uh, and then even dive into the mythology of leadership a little bit. So we're going to go a little bit deeper this year. 
um, than just the tactics. And we're going to study different types of people and how they lead. Uh, and we're going to use our guests to help us out with that. So looking at the at the book for me, um, it was long. Like I just looked it up. It's 410 pages. Um, the book Extreme Ownership was 280 pages. And so actually like with, with Extreme Ownership, I don't know. It just, it was a lot easier for me to read. And so, you know, I listened to it, like I said, and then I read it and then I listened to it again. And so maybe I was just lazier and I didn't get as many runs in, but with, uh, leaders, myth, myths and reality, I just didn't, didn't get all the way through it until like the last minute. And so, like I said, it, it's super long. Um, it, it was interesting, like just to hear some of these stories of, uh, these historical figures, you know, where it's talking about Albert Einstein and then you hear some of the struggles and some of the issues or, you know, like Robert E. Lee, of course, now there's all this issues about his statues being torn down and um, the racism and all this other stuff that's going on current day. But um, hearing some of these things is, it was really cool for me from a historical perspective. And I personally just had trouble connecting all of the stories in the end, I think, because it was so long is so disjointed because I didn't read just one chapter. It was basically, all right, well, I finished running and maybe in the middle of the chapter, but it still works. So, um, one of the, one of the things that it kind of reminded me of though, as we were reading, as we were looking at the histories was the, the story of King David from the Bible. So the son of Jesse, he was the smallest and least prestigious, prestigious of Jesse's sons. And he was chosen as a king because he was willing to follow God with all of his heart. And so through this book, like we're going to kind of go through it, but all of these are different types of leaders. They're, they were chosen for different reasons, whether that was because they were 6'6 and their waist was as big as a tree trunk, or it's because they were the smartest or because they, like Coco Chanel, you know, yours was the one of the hardest working or the, you know, the one with the most intuition and kind of always one step ahead of the game. So there's a lot of different stories, a lot of different perspectives. And then at the end, I don't want to give too much away, but we'll kind of bring it together is what makes a good leader. So John. Yeah, no, I, I think part of the book and um, there's, there's a couple chapters in here and it is a long book. Um, maybe I'm a little bit more of a history buff um, than, than I want to admit. Uh, Cause I really did. There's chapters in here that I like, I poured into and I couldn't stop reading. And there was chapters in here that I kind of struggled to get through uh, like off the top of my head, like right now um, boss tweed was one of them that I went through and I just kind of read it. And I'm like, I just get to the end of the chapter because I want to read the next chapter. Right. And then like I didn't get the lesson. So I had to go back and read through it a little bit. And, um, you know, there there's a lot of different um, sections in here. There's a lot of different things, which for me, it helped break up the book a little bit. But um, I did start kind of picking out a little bit as I read more, as I read the book again, as I dissected it and, and highlighted it and, and tabbed it off and um you know, my books, when I start reading and, and kind of doing that, I dog ear stuff. I put in uh, post-it notes. I highlight um, my books become much more thicker than when I purchased them. And that's what happened with this book. So, um, you know, we started to see similar leadership traits in all these different genres of types of leaders too. So, um, like I said, there's, there's six different types of genres uh, where they examine 12 people with um, Robert E. Lee as his own section. 
Um, that's entitled The Marble Man, uh, and that's a takeoff of the statues of Robert E. Lee. Uh, General McChrystal was actually raised in Virginia. So if anybody's from Virginia, they know that Robert E. Lee is a uh, very important historical figure around that area. Uh, born and raised in Virginia, um, you know, grew up kind of as part of the Union Army, uh, as part of the United States, went to West Point, was the soldier soldier. He was the quintessential person people would think of if they didn't go to the Civil War. Uh, he'd be the type of leader probably right now that we'd want leading our fight against terror uh, or terrorism. Uh, but then as the Civil War progressed, he fought for the Confederacy because of where he lived. He was very loyal to his area and to where he went uh, or where he grew up, which led him to become the leader of the Confederacy, uh, which obviously conflicted him because he he strongly believed in America. Uh, but he strongly believed in his loyalty to his immediate and surrounding areas. So uh, a lot of confliction within his own personality, within his own person, uh, in his leadership style. Uh, and so then the are, so there, go ahead. I'll, you'll jump in in a second. But so with Robert E. Lee, it was really interesting because one of the things I remember most is it said that he abdicated his decision making to the state of uh, Virginia, saying like. Whatever the state of Virginia decides to do, I'll do. I'll either fight for America or I'll fight for the South, depending on whatever the state decides to do, instead of being this real leader and saying, I'm going to do this because I think it's right. He he allowed them to say, okay, well, we're going to go this way. No, we're going to go this way. And he just followed right along. So it was interesting how they kind of came back to that throughout the throughout the course of the book. So. Yeah. And like for me, you know, I've, I knew who Robert E. Lee was growing up and going through history classes. Um, obviously, like we've talked about um, the, the recent history with um, Robert E. Lee and statues being taken down. And um, but to read that part of them, too, it was really interesting to me because those are a lot of things that I didn't know about, uh, you know, his his loyalty to what Virginia was going to do. And you, know, you think about one decision one way or the other, it's going to make you a tyrant or it's going to make you a hero. Uh, in certain people's eyes. Um, and we see that kind of day to day with leaders that we see around us, um, you know, from people we work with to leaders of our uh, country and leaders of of the, of the world. Um, one decision, right or wrong, can really make you a villain or make you a hero. Um, and that's what I was starting to get out of this book a little bit more. So that was really interesting with Robert E. Lee. Um, so the other sections in the book. Uh, so if anybody's interested in it, we're going to talk a little bit about them. But these are the people that uh, General McChrystal examined. So uh, once we move on from Robert E. Lee, he goes into the founders. He talks about Walt Disney and Coco Chanel. Uh, and he parallels both of them. How are they very similar? How are they different? Uh, from there, he goes to the geniuses. He examines what genius is and the role of genius in leadership. Uh, he looks at, obviously, Albert Einstein. People think of uh, the word genius, they probably think of Albert Einstein, uh, but they never really think of who Lenny Bernstein is. Um, so I, I want to leave that if anybody wants to uh, ask the question or if they want to read the book. Uh, I found that section to be, that chapter to be pretty intriguing about Lenny Bernstein, who was uh, a conductor uh, and who was a genius. I, I love the way he led his orchestras. Uh, the Zealots. 
and I'm going to talk about this one a little bit more, but he examines Maximilien Robespierre, who led the French Revolution, and Abu Musab al-Zukhari. And I think this is the reason I actually picked up this book. I was really intrigued with this one chapter. Um, Abu Musab al-Zukhari was the leader of al-Qaeda in, in Iraq. So during the insurgency, during uh, 2004, 2005, 2006, he led al-Qaeda and um, ISIS. What was it? No, al-Qaeda in Iraq. Um, so it's really interesting because Stan, Stanley McChrystal was the person who was in charge of fighting against this person. Um, so to take the person you're fighting against and write a small biography about his leadership tactics was really interesting to me. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. The heroes. One of the things that we're going to talk about with Kevin Parker in the coming weeks um, is Young He, who is a ancient Chinese warrior. He led a uh, an armada of ships um, that kind of circumnavigated the world as they knew it back then for the Chinese dynasty. Uh, and then he parallels that with Harriet Tubman. Uh, many of us know who Harriet Tubman is, who led the Underground Railroad. Uh, she did 13 trips back and forth from the south to the north um, to help slaves escape. Uh, that's, a, that's a true hero. Uh, the power brokers. One of the one of those chapters I just talked about that I I kind of struggled through was Boss Tweed, uh, but I love the part about Mar Margaret Thatcher becoming the first woman prime minister for England, um, and and her struggles to become a leader. Uh, the reformers, Martin Luther and Martin Luther King. Uh, when we look at some of the leaders, one of my favorite ones was Martin Luther King. Uh, he's very adaptable. He changed a lot. He did certain things. He would go to prison uh, on purpose to serve a purpose due to the vision of what he believed in. Um, and then he sat back and adapted and changed the way he did certain things. Um, and then the last part, and, I, and I'm not going to really dive into it now because I really want to use it um, when we discuss it with Tori. Uh, he discusses three myths of leadership. Uh, and how we formulate our own leadership and how people view leadership. He has three different types of leaders uh, or three different types of myths that he feels people kind of fall into when they go into a leadership trait, uh, a leadership position, or uh, they become leaders themselves. And then we take all that stuff, take all those chapters, take all those genres, and we redefine leadership. Why is leadership so important right now? Why are we talking about it so much? Why is there so much interest in books like this? And why is this becoming such a huge topic and huge um, thing that we've been talking about? Why are we doing this a second time around? Um, and that's why I really like this book because it helped us redefine it and showed uh, the importance of what leadership is. All right, so let me jump in real quick. Um, so there's, so Patrick O'Haver, Tanya Watson, Christy, went through all uh, jump watching live and again we'd love to see the live interaction comments things like that so definitely check that out on Facebook and you know anything you ask we'll do our best to answer but um, one of the things that you mentioned Martin Luther and how Martin Luther King um, how he sometimes chose to go to prison or chose not to and so like he couldn't just always like I'm gonna fight every single battle but sometimes he said okay well I know that I have to take a stand here and I have to like empower other people and things like that. And so, um, like it, it was, they talked about how, I think it was the, the, on 
at the White House. He did like a, a protest, a peaceful protest at the White House. And like it was, it was just talking about how one person by himself couldn't have made all that difference. But because he empowered other people to to do that, then they were really able to have, I don't know, I can't remember the number now, but because one person empowered other people and then they took up that cause and they sent out, uh, not emails, but handwritten notes or, or newspaper advertisements and uh, things like that and saying, hey, come do this day, be part of this, support the movement, the cause, the thing that's going on. And so it's it's really cool just to catch those pieces of history that you don't really get or you might forget. Uh, and so it was, it was a really good book to go through as far as historical understanding and perspective. So, yeah, I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm more of a history buff than I want to, um, admit to it. I I'm looking at my bookshelf right now and I put pretty much everything over there is a biography or it's, it's historical. Um, so I, I take a lot about it, like a lot out of it, um, from those history lessons, uh, as, um, leadership lessons. What can we learn from other people? What can we learn from the mistakes in history? What can we learn from the victories of history? And and how can we, or how can I personally affect the people around me? How can I be a better leader? How can I lead my team? How can I lead my school? How can I lead my, uh, my area around me? Uh, and I use those things as a daily tactic. All right. So what was your favorite chapter and why? So I, I touched on a little bit. Um, my favorite chapter I kind of have two. I have a chapter and then I have a section that I really enjoyed. Um, my favorite chapter was Coco Chanel. Um, big guy in athletics. Uh, it's funny that I, I chose Coco Chanel, who is known for uh, fashion design. Um, I loved it. And there was a section, there was a, a, a small expert from the book that I, I really loved about it. And I, it kind of exemplified who Coco Chanel was and uh, how she as a leader as a fashion designer became a leader, um, in, in fashion, anybody who knows who Coco Chanel is knows that, uh, or any female knows this, every woman needs a little black dress that comes from Coco Chanel. Um, the, the part I took out of the book that I wanted to read was creative and innovative people must rely on others to sustain their vision. We seem to follow leaders who put the mission first because we make trade-offs and life is rarely simple or idealized. We want to be happy in our work. Athletes want to win. Soldiers want to survive the battle. Business people want to prosper. We sometimes take a leader's vision over their style. For me, that was really important. I, I think having a vision, having a mission, having a goal in our lives dictates how we become leaders, how we act in our daily lives. Uh, and that's one of the things that I've learned over the last year in doing this section, um, doing this series of leadership, having a proper vision has helped me become a better leader. Uh, like I said, in my school, in my daily life, with my team, with the people I work and the people I'm around. And then the last section, I got kind of lost in that one. The last section that I really liked and I wanted to touch on last year a little bit was the idea of bad leaders. Uh, and the the genre of zealots kind of brought that out. You have two people who led close to genocide and um, mass murder. Um, obviously, those are bad people. Those are bad leaders. But what's caused them to have people follow them? 
And that was really intriguing to me. There's there's something in that that I really wanted to dive into, really wanted to get into and, and read through. And, um, you know, we talked about uh, my trip last year uh, in November back to Poland. Um, I was really intrigued with some of the almost leadership tactics of how people, not leadership tactics, but maybe the following tactics. Why did people follow those certain people? Why were they so intrigued and why did they um, become enamored with an ideology? Um, And I wanted to look into that uh, because as a person who leads a team, I want to make sure that I'm giving the right information. I want to make sure that my vision is correct so that I'm not leading people, not leading my team, not leading my interns uh, or my school in the wrong direction. Uh, Because it's very easy once you attach yourself to an ideology, if it's the wrong one, you can head down the wrong road very, very fast. Yeah, so here at Pasadena, there's been a lot of changes. So I got a new campus principal. I got a new athletic director, head coach. got a new coworker. So... Like everything that has been constant, I guess, has changed because Bill had been here for 39 years. Uh, the head the head coach had been here for 10 years, you know, the principal 10 years, that kind of thing. So it was a lot of constant things. But with the change in leadership, there also comes change in expectations. And so one of my issues, um, I talked about this book, Never Split the Difference, Right. And so it was talking about negotiating and I've talked about negotiating before, but one of the things is you got to be prepared. So I went into a start of the year expectations meeting, just, just prepared to, all right, Hey, cool. We're just making sure we're on the same page. Whereas what really happened was they blindsided me. And so at that point, like I got defensive and I was like, you know, arguing and, and instead of, finding a way to to get my point across or to listen to them or you know doing some of the things that I learned about in the book but I just wasn't ready for that meeting because it it was just unexpected like hey we're going to meet and talk about expectations for the year before we get started okay and then like oh no you're going to do this 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 and this which are not the things you've been doing and you're going to do this this and this and this and like what where is this coming from and so like the year started off pretty crappy for me. Um, and it was one of those things where I was, I was thinking I could work somewhere else. I can get a job just about anywhere else. And then I thought about all this stuff we've been talking about, all this stuff we've been talking about for 10 years or whatever it is on the podcast where we've been talking about abdicating. You got to leave this place better than you found it. Um, and then just going through this book as I've been reading it and just knowing that if I walk away, I need to know that I've done everything I can do to lead from below, to educate, to change my situation, to leave it better for any other athletic trainer that follows. Because if I just walk away and say, you know what, I'm done, I'm not, I'm not fighting this fight, then every other athletic trainer is going to continue to struggle with that fight. And the leadership will have already won that battle and so then it's that much easier for them to win it with the next person with less experience here and those type of things. And so I wasn't prepared for the meeting. I probably set myself back and set our program back a little bit by not being prepared, um, by letting them catch me off guard. And and so now it's a, it's a matter of, okay, let me step back. Let me look. Let me think, what do I need to do? What have I learned? 
over the past year? What am I going to learn this year so that I can lead my program? And so it's been really cool with my new coworker. Uh, you know, we've done a lot of good things to build up our program. When we started the school year, we had six student athletic trainer aides, and now we have like 26. And so, yeah, they know a lot of stuff. They're they're active. They're, you know, where they're passing, we're able to turn away kids because they're not passing or because of the behavior or whatever, things like that. And so um, we've done some some fun things and it's just been a matter of every day I have to make that decision because every day I still like, it's still a battle. It's, do I want to work here? Do I want to do this because of those situations? But then there's some huge rays of hope. Again, in the last year, we talked about communication and over communicating, you know, and Jago talked about how he didn't communicate enough. So that's the reason his group got denied the mission. Well, I didn't communicate enough. I asked a lot of people questions about creating an LLC with the podcast. I just didn't ask all of the people all the right questions. So I asked some people about creating the LLC, some people about business and school, some people about approval, but I didn't ask all of the people all the right questions. And so now I've had four or five you know, and I got another meeting this week and other meetings coming up. And, uh, as far as the podcast, I'm going to be able to continue to do it, but I'm probably not gonna be able to continue to do it as a LLC or as a business because I didn't communicate enough with enough people and ask enough questions. And so I'm adding extra work and extra drama on top of myself because I failed to communicate. And so, (laughs) Some of these lessons just suck, right? You have to you have to go through them to really learn. But if I hadn't read the book, if I hadn't talked with you uh, and all these other people about leadership and about ownership, then I would have just blamed somebody else. Right. But it's now, super super easy to blame other people and to, to and to just walk away from things. Yeah, exactly. And so that's that was my thought is it would be easy to walk away, but I I know better now, and so now I have to do something different. Yeah, I I had a same very similar situation um, in February or March um, after we got back from Orlando with the MLS. Um, I had a job offer with a professional team uh, within uh, the USL Championship, who is just below the MLS, and um, I brought it to brought it to to work, and I brought it to people, and um, you know my boss is awesome. Uh, I've got a great administrative staff. Um, our, our building administrative staff just got stronger. So, um, you know, I'm very happy about that. Uh, but like you said, it's easy to walk away from certain things. It's easy to um, just kind of let things go. And, and I know I've built a program at my high school and I've, I've done a lot of things, um, but it's, it's not what I wanted. It would be a new challenge, but For me, the challenge right now, which is difficult, but also very rewarding, is making sure that uh, I'm one of those people that's a reliable individual within our school that our students rely on, that our staff relies on, um, and that I'm a a central figure so that I'm able to help more people. Um, And I just felt more rewarded staying at the high school. I knew my job was not done at the high school. Uh, I, there's probably going to be a time where my job's done and I need to walk away and change, um, you know, where I'm at. Uh, but that's, that's not the time right now. Um, because I really sat there. It was a, we had a day here in Michigan and I had to make the decision the next day. It, it was a Wednesday, uh, where it was like 30 below 
we canceled school, businesses were closed. Um, you know, we had wind gusts of 60 miles an hour. Uh, and I literally just sat in my house like every other person in Michigan. We just sat in our houses for a whole 24 hours because it was so brutally cold. And that was the day I had to make the decision. That's the decision. I had to sit there and think and think and think and brew about it. But what it came down to was I wasn't ready to let it go. I knew there's more work to do. And that excited me. And I wanted to do more work with the high school. And I wanted to do more work with this and, and to help out other athletic trainers and, um, you know, to help you out. It was funny because you had sent me that text back in, in August. Like, I had, to, I had to talk you down off the cliff a little bit. You, you were like, you sent me a text that I usually get from a high school girl. She was just distraught. Thanks, bro. <laughs> and I just said, listen, man, you got to, you know, what, what have we learned? get the information, over-educate the people around you, and then, you know, go from there. I, I don't want you to make any rash decisions where you're going to smash your computer and, and throw everything in the dumpster. You know, I don't want you to get throw away all those t-shirts that are behind you. You know, you need to <laughs> need to think about this a little bit. And and there's times where I do that too, where I, you know, I, I had an incident at the beginning of the football season where I, I exploded on a student and I had to walk back and say, listen, that was an overreaction. Um, you know, I wasn't a leader in that moment. I wasn't uh, somebody who you need to look up to or should be looking up to because I lost my cool. Um, and it causes me to, on the daily, think back to the tactics that we learned last year. And we're going to talk about a lot of those tactics again. Those are going to keep coming up as we talk about it. Like you said, um, the story about Leif, you know, kind of coming in and, and screaming and yelling why the upper uh, management wanted more information and they they denied their mission. And Jocko has just said, we need to give them more information. We need to give them the best PowerPoints possible. We need to give them more information than they're asking for, because if we do that, they're not going to ask questions. They're going to rely on us that we know what we're talking about. And that's what I've taken from part of last year, too, is I needed to over-educate more people around me as to what we do. Yeah, so kind of on that same thought there, you were talking about, you know, you were given more responsibility. So this year we had a day and a half roughly canceled because of flooding. And so one of the things that the admin this year did that has never done before is they said, hey, Jeremy, Sophia, can y'all take a look at the weather and see what you think? Let us know if you feel like it's unsafe for kids to be outside walking between classes. And so that's something that's never, we've never been asked to do before. And I can take that two ways. I can take that. Well, now I'm having to do your job. Now I'm having being burdened with making this decision or they desire my opinion. They respect my opinion and they're asking for my professional opinion. What am I going to do? Am I going to say, I don't know, guys, you you decide, or am I going to say, this is what it looks like, this is what I would do, and then take it from there. And so because of these conversations, because of you saying, you know, yeah, I had to insert, I have to go to these admin meetings just so that people know who I am. You know, I had to create that seat at the table for myself. I was able to stop and think, okay, this isn't that bad. This isn't, this isn't them adding stuff to me. It may be, but it, this is a, this is an opportunity for me to step into their world and help them make a decision that's best for this environment. And so, it was. I, I'm not the fastest learner, so it, t it takes me time to to learn these things. But it was really cool to be able to have that conversation last year, 
to be able to know that I'm trying to be more involved. Like I'm already kind of working on a presentation for uh, school board for February to kind of promote athletic training month in March. Um, <clears throat> and then to know that, okay, I've had all this drama to where I didn't feel supported, where I felt, you know, backstabbed and I was ready to jump off a cliff, like high school girl, like John just said. <laughs> but then to know that, okay, okay, take a breath. It's not that bad. I screwed up. I need to be better at communicating, which I will readily admit I, I may, I'm going to take care of myself and I'm not going to bother you. So don't bother me kind of person. Right. And so I'm now I'm like, okay, two weeks from now, I'm going to be absent. All the coaches, just so you know, a week from now, I'm going to be absent three days from now. I'm going to be absent. You know? And so it's like, well, I told you six different times is <laughs> there's nothing else I can do. So now it's, it's more of a over communicating because that was one of the things that said, Hey, you need to make sure that your coaches would fight for you, that they know what's going on, that they know um, that if I came in and said, hey, we're thinking about moving Jeremy out there, you're going to be like, no, please don't do that. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, and creating that type of relationship is not something that's easy for me, but by communicating, by being interacting, by doing things for them and their program they see more of me rather than just the guy that's sitting in the office or, you know, just the guy that's leaving early every day or whatever it is, you know? Um, so it's been a really cool opportunity to, to be part of last year and then see how that shapes up. And, and what I've told people before that day that I had that meeting, um, was also the same day that our two foster, our first set of foster daughters, we found out that they were going home. It was one of the hardest days of my life to know that I could possibly like my job is changing I could possibly be losing my job when I have a family depending on me and these girls that I've had for 20 days that completely changed our world or going home like I was just upset and angry and heartbroken it was literally literally one of the hardest days of my life to deal with I mean possibly like heavier harder than the day that we had an athlete die after performing CPR. And so just, just being able to step back and look at those in a different perspective, like it's, it's been really good. I think one of the things you said there, one of the words that um, I've kind of reshaped in my mind a little bit is, um, you know, when you, when you're given extra tasks, it's not a burden, it's an opportunity. You said the word opportunity. It's an opportunity to educate people who you are what your, what your values are, what your priorities are, and what your job is as an athletic trainer. So when we do get pulled into those admin meetings, when we get pulled into, um, you know, what do we do about this situation? Um, you know, people value who you are because you have that opportunity to educate and show people your value. Um, and, and that you're not just the person there to tape ankles. You're not the person there to hold kids out of athletics or hold kids out of sports or to um, only let kids play if they have a doctor's note. Your job is a healthcare provider and you get those opportunities very rarely uh, to, to show that. And when you make a valuable decision and people rely on those things, you get more opportunities. Uh, when I was in college, my junior year and no my yeah my junior year i did a, a short internship and i remember uh the athletic trainer i worked with chuck middleton who's out on the west side of the state in michigan uh, he said to me one day kind of in passing and he just said if you're gonna be good be prepared to be busy 
And I kind of like, okay, that makes a little sense. But each day over the past 15 years since he said that to me, it makes more sense every single day. The better you are at your job, the better you are at educating people, the better you are at interacting with individuals, the more busy you're going to be. Uh, and there's times where I wish I wasn't so busy. I wish I was able to actually leave my office and not have a meeting while I've got a room full of 75 kids that need you know, attention and care. And I'd much rather be out there taping a finger than being in an admin meeting about behavior, being in a meeting about vaping or being in a meeting about parent involvement. But then I, I, have, to re, I have to stop myself, rethink and say, this is an opportunity to help our students, to help our parents, to help my community. And if people realize how good an athletic trainer can do and how valuable they are, it's not just gonna affect my school, we're very well staffed at my high school in Michigan. Uh, maybe it's going to affect the next community that doesn't have an athletic trainer. Maybe it's going to affect the next community next to that. And that's the way I think about it. I, if I do things very well locally and I'm a good leader, then it's going to spread and, and it's going to spread out in, in the rest of my area. In you know, I'm very focused in Michigan right now. Obviously, I live here and um, I'm very involved with our secondary schools uh, committee. Uh, I'm even running for vice president of MATS right now. And uh, I just know if I can affect things locally, it's going to affect things more at the state level. If it affects things at the state level, because you and I are doing these things uh, to be better leaders and to to impart wisdom on these people, maybe it's going to affect things at a national level. I don't know. I I, I shouldn't think about that. But what we're doing here and what we're communicating, uh, it's definitely affected me in my practice over the last year and a half or so. Well, for sure, it's affecting people. I mean, you know, like I said, there's some people watching live. Patrick O'Haver has been. Uh, commenting and just talking about the books or the comments or just the insight that you've been sharing. Um, and like I said, in the preview show, I've been getting quite a few comments um, about about what we've been doing here. And so other people are talking to other people about the podcast, about the stuff that we're doing, you know, and I know we just were kind of in the middle of talking with PSATs about returning out there and uh, how they want us to come out there and do that because they see the value in that. And so it's, it's been really cool for me. It's a great opportunity to learn, but uh, what do you feel like have been your three biggest takeaways or two, or I don't know, just your biggest takeaways from the series last year to today? Yeah, I think we've kind of touched on those a little bit, but you know, I think my three biggest takeaways would be educating others. Um, making sure that people know who we are, what we do, what athletic training is, what uh, the value of an athletic trainer is, um, talking with people at my job, what are my expectations? Uh, one of the things that I learned this summer was uh, the word intent. What is my intent with what I'm doing? It's easy to push through rules. It's easy to push through expectations. But if I don't have an, an intent or a vision behind those things, why am I asking other people to follow those rules or those those um, tactics that we're bringing ahead. Um, so I've really pushed through educating others with my intent and my expectations. Um, the more people realize and understand what those are, the better they are. Um, they're going to follow and, and ask questions and 
um, and, and help me out in the end. Cause you know, I'm there to help them, but I can only help them if they help me. So, um, you know, another thing is listening. Um, I think I've always been a, a decent listener, a good listener, uh, something that people have been comfortable with talking to. Uh, but there's been times where, um, you know, I've been talking to somebody and I'm zoning out and I'm staring at them. Uh, but I'm thinking about the next thing I need to say to them, or I'm thinking of, uh, something else that's on my mind or God, you know, I have my phone in my hand, not and stop. Um, you know, so if I'm talking to them and I have my phone, I'm not really listening to them. So I've learned to become a better active listener, um, and, and doing more closed feedback, um, closed loop communication. So reciprocating what they're asking me, reciprocating what they're talking to me about so that I have a full understanding. Cause there's a lot of times where people, if they're talking to me, I don't have a full understanding of what they're saying to me. And, uh, 20 minutes later, I forget what they were talking about. And I'm just trying to push ahead my point and just waiting for my time to talk. Um, and that's, that's not a good leadership tactic. Uh, and then the last thing I, I think that I've really had a good takeaway is, um, something I've kind of termed the leadership loop. The more opportunities we've got or the more opportunities I've got to have input in certain things, the more opportunities that's bred. And, uh, people have valued what we talk about. People have valued what I do. Um, this year I implemented the medical timeout at the high school. And I was nervous as all hell to get that going because I didn't think anybody was going to listen to me. And the first time I did the medical timeout, I had the two referees just kind of like, dude, when is this guy going to stop talking? And I, I know I had our police officers, our fire in, intrigued, and they they were listening to me. And I could tell, I could see the the referees like, all right, is it whenever this guy's done talking, we got to go do the coin toss because that's the most important part of the game. Um and unfortunately, we had an, uh, an EAP where we had to enact, um, we had a, a spine board. And then it clicked in the referee's mind. Like, that's why we did that medical timeout. And now it's bred the next time we did the medical timeout. We've only had, we only have four home games this year. We've already had two. Um, but the last time we did the medical timeout this past Friday, I sent out a part of the email like, hey, at 6.30 before the kickoff, we're going to do the medical timeout. Uh, and then I didn't ask anybody to be there. and as we gathered in the middle of the field to have that communication, I think we had 20 people there listening intently to what I was saying. This is what's going to happen in the event of emergency. This is where uh, my medical bag is. This is where my emergency bag is. This is where the, um, the, the AED is at. And every single person was quiet and listening to me. So the opportunity to do the medical timeout at the beginning of the season bred more opportunity for me to educate more people and my administrative staff. And, um, there was people there and I, I have no idea who they were. I think they just got caught up in the, in, in the circle of who we were and they felt they couldn't leave, but at least they got to hear what we had to say. Um, you know, and, and even yesterday, um, I had a communication, I had a, a meeting with at two meetings actually. Um, you know, one of them was with my principal and we discussed, um, some parenting issues and, um, the fact that they asked me to be a part of that meeting just shows that they valued my input, you know, and, and part of that is, is awesome. I love that. And I'm, I'm glad that I have the opportunity to do that. Um, you know, I struggle a little bit with the ego, so I always have to kind of pull back and think, you know, they're going to need my help for everything. Well, no, they're not, but they're valuing those certain things. So I have to kind of, you know, that's the dichotomy a little bit, you know, we have to view the ego. We have to, uh, see when the opportunities exist so that we're able to help, but not take it to, 
too much. Um, like I said, the more opportunities you get, the better you work through those things, the more opportunities you're going to get. If you plan to be good, you got to plan to be busy. So that's one of the, the few things I've taken out. I think that leadership loop has been um, one of the most eye-opening things that I've seen uh, as a takeaway. What about you? All right. So along the, the same lines, but before we get any further, uh, I know people are going to, people are, and I've already asked about your medical timeout and kind of how you did that. So do yeah. you have a resource that you're going to point them to, to kind of get that script or to maybe see your show notes, your thoughts or, or your, I don't know, your whiteboard, since you always have a whiteboard <laughs> with tons of stuff of, okay, I got to improve this, improve this, change this, do that. Yeah. So, um, I have, I have a medical timeout script. Um, I've used stuff from, um, oh man, I can't think of his name right now. Um, Ron Corson, Georgia. Not Ron Corson. Well, Ron Corson does one as well, but he does it in, um, he does it in partnership with another, uh, doctor, a doctor, uh, out of West Virginia. I am so sorry. I can't think of his name right now. Anyways, I have the PowerPoint from them. I've used that PowerPoint to help me kind of gather together materials. I've written my own script, which I just go through each day uh, or each home game. Um, I do it a half an hour before kickoff, but I have all that information on kind of a PowerPoint. If anybody wants to email me for that, I've had a handful of people reach out to me. I know on the, um, the Facebook page, um, but my email is J-C-I-E-C-K-O at bloomfield.org. Um, and that'll be on the show notes as well. Um, and I can forward you over those those PowerPoints um, and they're really easy to adapt. And uh, I think the hardest thing is just kind of putting your foot in the door and saying, we are doing this at this point. Um, and like I said, the unfortunate part is we had to enact our EAP, but because we had all that stuff laid out prior to the game, it was the most smooth, it was stressful, but it wasn't stressful to the point where I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and because I had certain tasks laid out for other people, I didn't have to worry about who's calling the EMS, who's clearing the field, who's doing, um, you know, who's unlocking gates. I didn't have to worry about any of that. All I had to do was worry about my athlete who my hands were on at that moment. Um, and that was the best part about the medical timeout is I just concentrated on the one single task that was the most important thing to me. And other people had their own important tasks. And when we put that all together, it ran so incredibly smooth that I was so happy about. After that, I always do a, an after action uh, report or after incident report with my team. So um, we didn't leave that day. And I know my interns and, and my staff hated me, but uh, I hated myself. But I know at the end of the night, it's 11 o'clock, 11, 15, 11, 30, and we're done, cleaned up. I said, we got to sit down and go over this right now because what are the things that we need to improve? And we came through with one or two things that, um, you know, we needed to talk about. Uh, who's going to do this? Who's going to improve on this task? How can I communicate better? Um, and we put that all down and that became known to us the next time around. If something happens like that, then we need to make sure that's well known. So yeah, if anybody wants to reach out to me about that medical timeout, I'm more than happy to share um, those um, those materials. Just shoot me an email. And then just recently I was talking with a friend of mine, uh, Justin, he was actually on a podcast a long time ago <clears throat> um, about leadership. He is a captain in the fire department and he signed up for a a station that hasn't had a captain. So they haven't had a leader. And mm -hmm. so these guys 
haven't been pushed. They haven't been led. And so he's having to step in and do things. He was like, you know, and I'm out there mowing the lawn, whereas stations that I've been at, you know, if the captain was out there mowing the lawn, I would be out there like pushing him out of the way. Like that's not his job. That's not what he, that's what I'm supposed to do, but they're just fine sitting back and letting Justin mow the yard when he shouldn't be mowing the yard as the leader, but he's leading by example. He's, he's getting down in there and he's, he's learning those lessons. And he, again, was talking about extreme ownership. And I was like, hey, you know, it's a really good book. And when you read it with dichotomy of leadership, it's even better because you learn it's not just a hard line stance on everything, but there is a balance, a back and forth that you got to learn. So it was really cool to have those conversations and to be able to have read and experienced those books because of what we were doing here. Um, And one of the things that we're talking about leadership and failure in leadership, when we're talking about with Dr. Shingles, but I want to mention here is the place that I mention that I fail the most in leadership, I would say is at home, but it's also the place that I have the most opportunity and the most grace, uh, because I'm, I'm learning to lead my children and they're ever changing, you know? So my eight year old is now a nine year old and his you know, needs and hormones and likes and everything is changing, you know? So one day he's really into, you know, playing with Legos. The next day he wants to use a knife. Uh, the next day he doesn't want to do any of that, you know? And so it's, it's one of those things I'm learning to lead and I fail, you know, sometimes I miss those things, but by slowing down, gathering all the information, like we've talked about in these leadership series, um, listening, being an active listener, putting my phone away, seeking understanding rather than asserting myself because I am naturally like an authoritative dictator type. Like (laughs) this is what I said to do. So just go do it rather than let me explain what we're doing, why we're doing it. So you can catch the vision so you can jump on board and run with it yourself. Right. At home, I was more of the dictator type. And so I'm learning that I need to communicate those wants, needs, desires, listen. And the more we have these conversations, the more I can see the need for these conversations uh, among us and among myself. And to be honest, like that 410 page book, like I said, I got lost, but now that we're going to be talking about it over the course of a whole month, I'm going to remember, I'm going to apply those lessons. And then a year from now, I'm going to come back and say, oh yeah, I remember in extreme ownership. I remember in, uh, leaders. I remember in this, you know, cause I'm sure we're going to do this again at some point in the future where we do a, a series on leadership and these, these conversations help. And so I don't know if you as a listener are enjoying reading a book, maybe have a book study with it, maybe engage online with, you know, fans of leaders, myth and reality or whatever it is, just engage in those conversations and say, this is what it looks like in my life. You know, obviously, you know, we've talked with Brandy Curry and she has a, the leadership mastermind mentoring thing or different groups like that, but engaging in those conversations helps you apply, remember, and continue to remember and apply these things that, that we're learning here through these books. Yeah. That was one of the things too. I, I kind of thought about was I had to actually practice what I preached. It's really easy to sit down and talk about this, but then I had to really make sure I was putting a lot of those tactics and a lot of these lessons into practice every single day. Um, not just at work, but in my, in my personal life too. I I really, you know, I, I think I've done a a decent job in that, but it's been very rewarding to do that too. Um, you know, when people not just at work, but in your family and during your friends, they, 
look to you and they they respect your opinions on certain things because you've been more disciplined with how um, you act. It's it's very very rewarding. All right, so we've been looking or you've been scouring Facebook for the issues that are common to to our setting, the secondary setting. Yeah. And you came up with a couple of main recurring themes. So uh, why don't you kind of go over those and, and how we're going to address some of those this month? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I there's times where I'll go on the Facebook page and I'll just kind of read through it. And, um, you know, I see people's struggles. And uh, what I didn't want to do is just pick out perfect, you know, certain posts and uh, give them advice, unwanted advice. I think sometimes people just need to vent and that's good and that's great. Um, but, you know, we we have to realize that we're, we need to be there for each other as well. Um, you know, so there's a handful of things that I've read through and um, some common themes with, uh, with, with leadership issues um, within our setting, within the secondary school setting. I think one of the things I've read through recently uh, that I was really kind of proud of, and people may not even realize that they're doing it, but um, a handful of people have overridden their doctor's notes when it comes to the care of their athletes. Uh, and not saying that, hey, you know, this doctor doesn't know what they're talking about. We're going to go and, and do whatever. Um, it's, you know, the, the ones that people have said that they've sent a student with a concussion. They've seen the symptoms, the signs, the symptoms. They know that person is concussed. We know we that's what we see every single day. And then you get a word back from a pediatrician or, um, you know, another doctor that reads, kid's his not concussed. Was low. What's that? We got one that was, his potassium was low. <laughs> yeah, I think I just read one today that, um, you know, the, the doctor said that they, he had a flu or there was a flu going around. Fantastic. We know that the people are getting sick. Everybody in Michigan right now has a got, has a sinus infection because it was forty degrees on Monday, eighty five yesterday, and it's sixty today. Like I'm stuffed up, okay. But I I know if I hit my head during a football game, most likely I'm concussed. It's not because of my sinus infection. And um, what we're seeing is athletic trainers saying, "Hold up, these are our athletes as well. Just because the doctor says that they can play." and they are cleared by the doctor's standards, we're gonna still run them through a return to play protocol. And we're gonna be cautious with those students because we care about those students. Not because I wanna be better than a doctor or I wanna override a doctor. What they're doing is showing care for those people that they work with. And they're taking ownership of their setting and of their high school and of their student athletes because they care for them not because they just want to override a doctor. Um, I don't think any athletic trainer does that. Uh, and I think that's what I've been really proud about kind of reading through a handful of these, like, absolutely. I would do the same thing or, you know, like, yeah, that's exactly what I would do too. Or, um, I would have a conversation with coaches about why we're not playing so-and-so this week. Uh, and I've been really proud about seeing that and, they may not, people may not know that, but they're taking ownership of their situations. Um, and it's no different from what I would do and uh, no different than what anybody else would do. Uh, it's just because they're taking ownership of that whole scenario and caring for their athletes. Yeah. And again, it's not about saying, you know, more because the doctor is the qualified medical professional, but if they say that they're not injured when you know they are, then at that point as the athletic trainer, as the last line of defense or first line of defense or both, you you have to be able to take ownership of that situation, 
lead, communicate saying, okay, well, the doctor said it's not broken. So, but we still need to, you know, one of the things that we say often is they need to be able to go through, they need to be able to walk pain-free, jog pain-free, run pain-free, practice pain-free before they can return to play pain-free. And so it's kind of like those those steps and that way I'm communicating with the coach saying, hey, this is where we are, this is what we're doing. And I'm also mm-hmm. communicating with the athlete, this is what we are, this is where we are, this is what we're doing. If you're not pain-free, there's a reason that God made us that way. Pain is an indicator that there is a problem, right? So it may right. be pain from your sore, from your growing. And so that's the conversation we have too. So is it, are you sore? Are you, is it pain? Like somebody stabbing you, that kind of thing, you know, like a normal athletic trainer would do. But it's not about just saying, oh, well, the doctor said it's broken, but I don't think it is. It's, it's the opposite. Right. It's, yeah. it's yeah. protecting and doing the right thing at the risk of ridicule, right? Doing the right thing uh, in those situations. So, all right. So what are the, some of the other big so conversations? Some of the other ones, kind of the general topics that we, that we continually see is um, either coaches changing times or there was one kind of specific one that read, they didn't feel like they had a place at the table. And my question to that and my kind of input is, what are you doing to make your own seat at the table? And that's something that I've had to do over the past couple of years is I definitely felt, we've all felt like that. We didn't have a place at the table. We felt like we were never involved in those things. Once I started inputting myself and putting my foot in the door and saying, this is my valuable input. What that's when I started making my own seat at the table. And I, I think we've done a really good job. And Jeremy, I know you're working on your own seat right now. And, um, you know, I've, I think I've done a decent job at my high school, but um, we've made some pretty good chairs at our tables uh, by acting through some of these tactics that we talked about last year and some of these lessons that we're going to learn this year. Um, but, you know, what are we doing to educate those that we work with? Are we educating our student athletes? Are we educating our parents and our coaches? Uh, I know there's always times that I can educate our parents more. Um, and I always let that slip a little bit because I just don't always work with our parents as much as I do with our coaches and administration and our students. Uh, so there's a there's a section for me that I need to work on a little bit more. Um, are we showing our value? You know, what is our value? That's another question that we have to answer. Um, and then are we are we creating our life? Uh, are, are we creating ownership within our own lives and within our own profession? Uh, and I know Dr. Games is going to talk about that a little bit. Um, the difference between personal and professional development. Is there a difference there? Um, and I, I'm really excited about that too, because um, there are times where we need to say no. And we see that a lot with coaches changing times. Um, and I get frustrated with it. But one of the things that I've done over the last couple of years is really put it out. Listen, I need time changes and I need you to communicate. We're all in the same building. You know, we're all in the same building at certain times. It's not really difficult for you to come down. But on my end, it's not difficult for me to go down and have that communication. It doesn't always need to be formal. It can be informal. Go down say hi. Hey, how's practice going? How's this? How's that? Kind of sit and watch practice a little bit. I don't have to be there for the whole two hours of volleyball practice, but I could poke my head in for five minutes, say hi, walk out to another practice. And the more informal I've gotten, the better I've gotten with communication from our coaches. Oh, hey, I forgot to email you that. Um, but here's what we're going to do this coming weekend. Awesome. Thank you for getting that to me. And the more I show appreciation and the more we show appreciation as a profession, I think that people start reciprocating it and they start respecting our time and our um our value to their programs and uh, the high school. So 
Uh, I think that's something that we'll continuously talk about is making sure that we take ownership within our profession, within our school and uh, everything that we're doing. Talk about appreciation. Let's talk about uh, our friend Kelly. She is really good at showing appreciation. Last year, she sent me some cookies. Just re- recently, you you uh, received some cookies there just because she was showing appreciation, right? Yeah. Goodness gracious. I, I get called down to the main entrance yesterday, um, something that never happens uh, in our um, our para that works in the main entrance area who vets kind of everybody that comes through, she sends me an email and says, Hey, you got something down here, um, crutches and something else you got to pick up. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm heading down. I pick up some crutches that I lent out to another student from another school. And she goes, Oh yeah, you got some cookies here too. And I go look at the box and we start kind of having a conversation and she's asking me questions. And another person starts asking me questions. Our, our police liaison officer walks in and I'm holding this box of cookies and um, I noticed this note is sitting um, in the box of cookies and I kind of tried to start reading it a little bit. And um, I, I wanted to avert my attention to the people who I was around. And um, so I didn't want to read it in front of them. And um, I said, all right, I got to get back to my room. And I start walking back and I pull out the note that Kelly gave me. Um, and it was the most, it's it's the most appreciative thing I think I've ever gotten in my life. Um, and just it was unwarranted and, uh, you know, unprompted, but she, uh, wrote this note about, um, you know, how we as colleagues have worked really well together. And, um, you know, she has showed a great appreciation for what you and I have done. And, um, you know, some of the things that I've put forth in my area. Um, and it's really, it was, it was awesome to get that note. And, um, I, I, kind of joked with some people. Um, we, we got, you know, sinus infections going around. So the allergies kind of hit me hard yesterday and kind of had to pull together a little bit as I walked into my room. Um, you know, it was very sweet to get that and, um, you know, it's nice to be appreciated. So I definitely want to show some appreciation to Kelly. She's been a great colleague and, uh, right down the road for me. And, um, it's definitely one of the sweetest things I've ever gotten. And, uh, I have that up on, uh, on my Instagram, uh, and I can share that a little bit later too. So, um, just a, a sweet note that she sent me. So thank you, Kelly. Yeah. So it, again, I was the same thing for me. I'd, I received a box and I'm like, what is this? And then open it up and then there's cookies. And of course, you know, I opened it up at home cause she sent it to my house and, uh, I think, I don't know. I took it home anyways. So they didn't last very long, but again, it was just, just the thoughtfulness, the, I'm going to say thank you to somebody that I don't have to. And yeah. so again, that's a leader. And I, I saw that somewhere else is just, as you say, thank you, as you show gratitude and people are more willing to buy into your vision. Mm-hmm. And so don't say thank you just to try and manipulate, but actually be grateful. Say, Hey, thanks for dropping off that schedule. Thanks for telling me what you're doing today. Hey, thanks for coming by to check on your athletes so we can communicate, so we can be on the same page. I really appreciate how you're involved with your athletes and those kind of things. And so you're building that community, you're building that support from multiple different levels. And so it's really cool just to see the practical application of that gratitude uh, of, of a quiet leader. So awesome. All right. Um, we're going to kind of close it out here. And so hopefully this isn't too cheesy, but if you want to get superior hydration, you got to go with a leader who is willing to buck the trend. 
and do something different and fight the naysayers. So check out Free Hydration. Rob is fighting tooth and nail there to uh, to change the way hydration is done. I love the products. It's, it'll be the only ones that I'm buying. I'm excited about the new one we'll get with the Sports Medicine Broadcast logo on it. So I'll have to share that for sure. Um, but if you want to check out Frio, tell Rob that you heard about it on the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Again, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash mythology. So John, tell me, just close it out for me. Give me a final quote, a final reading, uh, a final thought, a final gratitude, something like that. Yeah, I, I, I kind of touched on a lot of those things, but having vision is one of the things that I learned from this book. Have a vision, have a goal, and enact that vision. Show people your intent with that vision, and leadership and followers uh, will understand you, why you want to do certain things. Um, So hopefully that's something that we can get from this book and uh, get from this series is creating a vision and and enacting some of those tactics from last year, learning from the good and the bad leaders, and how can you shape the people that are around you. There you go. All right, so taking wisdom from John and all of his leadership books. Again, you can email him if you want any of this information, his book recommendations, just pictures of himself. I don't know. Uh, My wife was watching our preview show the other day and it was a really funny picture of uh, John that the computer kind of froze on. So that was a fun fun one, which I'm sure he'll share. Uh, And if you haven't actually had a conversation with John or had a chance to meet him, he's a really cool dude. Um, We, Sarah went with me to Las Vegas and she was like, you know, that's, that's somebody fun I would go hang out with. Like we're, we're kind of not planning, but we're thinking, you know, maybe there's a time where we can go up to Michigan, a state we've never been to, go crash at John's house, play with his dogs and just hang out and enjoy, you know, because he's a cool dude. So he wants to to help you grow as an athletic trainer. Reach out to him, like you said, um, Twitter at John Seco or Seco at Bloomfield.org. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash mythology. Or if you type in John Seco, anything like that on sportsmedicinebroadcast.com, you'll find it. He's been on and involved in lots. So sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash mythology will be this show. Uh, Anything leadership-wise, questions, thoughts, comments, emails, send them to us, and we'll incorporate them in the show. So, John, I really appreciate all the work you're doing and all the ways you're leading and good luck on your VP candidacy. Thank you very much. I'm excited for the rest of this month. All right, my friend. So for Jeremy and John and all the leaders coming up, that is a wrap.